You know, this morning I want to talk to you a little bit about the will of the Lord and how you relate to the will of God. And I like to knife fight. That's why I'm down here on the floor close to you. If you have your Bibles, we're going to, eventually I'm going to get to Romans 12. You know, there's a lot of things that happened when we became born again. When we asked Jesus Christ to come into our life and to take control of our, our life and to forgive us of our sin, there were some agreements that were made between us and God. Mainly this, that we would die to ourselves, we would join Him in death at the cross, and then we would live our life for Him. He would die for us to pay for our sins, and we would live for Him. You know, that sounds like a pretty simple thing, doesn't it? You know, I was a, when I was growing up, I, I, I became a private pilot. I love to fly a small plane. I enjoyed getting up there, just getting in the clouds and leaving the world behind. And for several years, I'd, ne- I'd flown several different kinds of planes, but I'd never, ever been able to fly in a helicopter, never. And I was sitting at church one morning, a, a Coast Guard officer was sitting next to me, and he was a close friend of mine, and and I found out then that he was a pilot. Then he became my best friend. And he was a helicopter pilot. And Dale was a great guy. I mean, he was a godly man. And he just he, he was just a great guy to be around. He's always positive. Anyway, Dale, he said, I told him, I said, you know what? I've never been flying in a helicopter. I'd love to do that. And he said, I can make that happen. I go, I'm telling you, man, I love you. And so we had set up an opportunity. He came to pick me up and this... This crew chief got out and gave me all the stuff. I got the helmet, you know, and I got the flight suit, and they dressed me out. I didn't know what I was doing. And then they allowed me to climb up into the front of the helicopter in the co-pilot seat. I've never been this cool in my whole life, I'm telling you. And so he begins to take off, and it's like riding on a magic carpet. And we go out over the bay in Mobile, and... And he goes, um, and I said, look, this is my first time in a helicopter. We're talking over the intercom. I said, show me what, what the controls do. And he showed me all that stuff. And, and then he goes, you want to try it? And I said, if you're crazy enough to let me, I'm, I'm, I'm in. And I want you to know that we probably would be court-martialed over this, so I'm kind of glad that you know time has gone by. But he let me fly. And it was wonderful. It was exciting. But I want you to realize something. There's only one person that can be in control of a helicopter at one time. Only one. In fact, you communicate that back and forth. When he said, are you interested in flying? I said, I am. He goes, it's your aircraft. That meant you're in charge. You have the controls. You're the only one that's moving this aircraft up and down and and side to side. And then when something would happen, listen, Even though I was flying, it was still his bird. It still belonged to him. And he allowed me to fly for a little while, and then something popped up. I think it was another aircraft in the area. area, And he said this, it's my aircraft. Immediately, I let go of the controls and let him have it. Now, can you imagine what would have happened if he'd have looked at me and said, it's my aircraft? I said, no, I'm flying still. And we began to wrestle over the controls. It would have been a disaster. And you know, I think that one of the hardest things to do as a human being is when the Lord said, it is my 
life. This is my walk. This is my ministry. This is my life when he's he's speaking to you. One of the hardest things to do is to let go of the controls and do his will. Because we've been flying a long time. We understand and we feel comfortable when we're flying. Listen, I'm going to tell you right now, I hate to fly commercial. You know why? It's because I don't have my hands on the controls. Some other guy up there, and I don't know if he's good or not. You can't feel all the little bumps until they happen, but you can actually feel them in the controls before it actually hits the main airframe sometimes. It's a whole lot more comfortable when you're in control, taking the aircraft where you want it to go, and you're going to arrive where you think you want to arrive. It's a scary thing to trust someone else. My my buddy Dale lost his life in an aircraft accident in Mobile Bay. In fact, a few years ago, you may remember. They were transitioning. They were transitioning at the time between who was going to be in control of the aircraft. And I don't know that that was the causality. I think that all of them had become confused when they crashed and hit the water. So I ask you to pray for his widow and pray for his two sons. Um, what a great godly man he was and still is, because we all know where he is. But I ask you to pray for his family. But I learned a lot flying with that brother that day. Lord, it's not my will, but your will. It's your will that's important. You know, Jesus, who is our example, Jesus, who taught us, who came down and lived with us, who showed us how we should live our lives before God the Father. He was the same way. He got into a garden and he wrestled over whether or not he was going to do his will or he was going to submit to the will of his Father. Do you remember he prayed, he sweated the drops of blood, and he said, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. Lord, if if this could pass for me, if there's another way, if there's something else that can happen, Lord, I ask you to do that, but Lord, not my will, but your will. And Jesus was faithful even unto death. He was our example. You know, I was reading a book that that honestly began to challenge me about my willingness to, to follow the will of God. It was called The Dark Night of the Soul. And it was written by St. John of the Cross. An old guy. Probably the first couple of centuries, I think. I can't remember exactly when he lived, but He wrote this poem, and I'm not going to quote poetry because I'd lose my man card if I did that, but one of the things that he he began to comment, he began to give a commentary on his poem and what this poem meant. And the poem is, is, is is a journey, if you will, probably for a whole lifetime. One of losing oneself in God. One of of sacrificing oneself to God. And I read you a quote, and this really got me going because it began to ask me or began to challenge me of whether or not I truly felt like and was truly willing to submit to the will of God. Let me read this to you. He said, Oh my God and Lord, how many are they that go to seek in Thee their own consolation and pleasure and desire Thee to grant them favors and gifts, 
But those who long to do thee, do thee pleasure and to give thee something at their cost, setting their own interest aside, are few. What he's saying is this. He goes, you know what? There's a lot of people, God, who will come to you and ask you for forgiveness. They'll come to you and ask you for salvation. Lord, they'll come to you and ask you for blessing. Lord, there, there's a many people who come to receive from you the good things of the glory, good things of heaven, the good gifts that you give. But Lord, there's very, very few people that will come to you and say, Lord, what is it you want? No matter how much it costs, I want to give back to you. I want you to know that started me on a kind of a self-examination. Am I willing to do the will of God if I get nothing out of it? Am I willing to do the will of God just to make Him proud? Just to, to please God? Am I doing the will of God just because He desires it? it it'll further His kingdom, His purpose, His will, His ministry. Lord, do I give to You not expecting anything back from You at all. I think there were a few, if I remember correctly, there were a few verses in Job where Job's attitude was one like this. Listen, I want you to know, God, that even if you destroy me, even if you send me to hell, I choose to worship you because of who you are. Let me ask you this. If God knocked on your door and said, I want you you're the next Job. Are you willing to submit to the will of God? He said, man, I don't, I don't know. You know, I, I kind of gotten used to controlling this aircraft. <laughs> I've kind of gotten used to Listen, I'm doing really good at this. I'm straight and level, and I'm flying right, and I'm headed to the goal, and I want you to know that there's really no need for God to mess things up. There's really no need for God to get involved. Isn't that kind of the sin of Adam? Did God really say? You know what? God must be holding out on me. Amen? <laughs> if God's asking me to do this, then there must be something in it for me. Maybe, maybe not. I wonder how many of us would come and that we would worship if we never receive the presence of the Spirit, we never receive the warmth of His grace, we never receive the consolation of the hope that we find being in His presence. But He was still deserving. Because of who He is, because of what He's done, He still deserves for us to serve Him. He still deserves for us to die and give, us, give ourselves to Him. And so now let's jump into Romans 12. He said, listen, if I'm going to follow after the will, if I'm going to give my heart to Him, I want to know what that looks like. And Paul starts out in, in Romans 12. He says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. He's saying, listen, I want you to know, I'm begging you, Romans, 
that because of what I've already shared with you, I'm begging you to present yourself. And so if we go back a couple of verses, he begins to talk about the character of God. And listen, I'm not asking you to give up your will to some fly-by-night God. I'm not asking you to, to give, your, give up your will to some God that doesn't exist, that doesn't, that's not power, that doesn't earn that right, that doesn't have that authority over you. I want you to listen to these verses. In, and this is going to be back in uh, Romans 11. You don't have to turn there. It's just right before we get started in 12. Paul says, it's, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. Listen, when you begin to, to give your will back to God, you can take confidence in the fact of who God is. Listen, He is wise beyond any opportunity for you to understand Him. Do you realize that the foolishness of God is greater than the smartest man on this planet? He is incredibly wise and incredible. He's so vast. and under You know, it's funny to me that we, we try and take God and, the, and who He is and we try and take His glory and we take what we understand of, and, and we basically force it into our own understanding, into our own intellect, and it comes out on the other side, and we say, this is what God is like. Listen, your fallen brain can't even handle that there's a God, much less what He's really like. Do you realize the only revelation that we really have is Jesus Himself? Do you realize that, that this God, this wonderful God came to this planet so and, and, and took on flesh so that we could identify with Him, so that we could understand in a minuscule way what He cares about, what He requires, and who He really is. God is so vast. And when God says you need to go to the right and you start arguing because you want to go to the left, you have to understand something. When He says go to the right, he is making that decision based on eternity. He's making that decision based on his limitless understanding of you and the circumstances. He is literally asking you to do something under the shadow and under the authority of his greatness and his power. Let me ask you this. Why would we want to go left? <laughs> you know? Why would we want to go left? Because going left, we're putting all of our eggs in one basket. We're saying, I know better than God. I understand these circumstances better than He does. I've got more power within my own resources and my own hands to take care of this situation. Do you see how ludicrous that is? Do you literally see how foolish it is to choose your will over the will of God? He says, Lord, the depths of the riches, both of wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are the judgments and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of God? Or who has become his counselor? Or who has first given to him, and it shall be repaid to him? For of him and through him and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. And Paul said, because of that, because of who God is, because of what God can do, because this belongs to God. 
Amen? It all belongs to him. It's for him and by him. He's the one that created it. He's the one that stood it up. He's the one that put it all together. And he has a right by ownership alone to dictate how it is run. I hate to tell you this, but if it wasn't for God, you wouldn't even be here. And I'm not talking about just being in church this morning. I'm talking about you would not even exist. You would not even be in an imagination in someone's mind if it was not for God. And Paul said, listen, when we, when we take God into account, when we look at His greatness, when we look at His holiness, when we look at His his be the beauty of His glory, when we behold who God is, we only have one response. And that is to submit to Him. You remember Moses? Moses sees the burning bush and he goes up and he, he crawls up on the mountain. He gets before the glory of God. He falls on his face, does he not? When he was presented with God, he fell on his face. And God looked at him and he said something kind of interesting. He goes, what's that in your hand? He goes, it's my staff. It's my rod. It's my shepherd's staff. And what did God tell him to do? Come on, wake up. Told him to throw it down, didn't he? He told him to throw it down. Now listen, that was a big deal for him. You know, based on the movie, I mean, he's had it since he left Egypt. Right? He's leaning on this thing. It helped him as he traveled. He used it to defend himself and to defend the sheep. And it, and it represented something to him. It was a, a possession of his. It was personally his. Everybody knew it was his staff, his rod. And he, listen, he carried it all the way to the mountain to meet God. Do you think he thought it was important? And God said, give it to me. find another good one. This one's straight, Lord. This one's got just the right weight to it. God, you don't understand. I've got history with this stick. This stick has protected me from all the wilds of the desert. But you know what? When you're looking into a burning bush, when you're beholding the glory of God, when you're beholding His wisdom and His understanding, you know what? You begin to see that, hey, listen, even if He asks you to give up your prized possession, Guess what? It's a good thing. You know, there's some of us that we, we hold on to our staff. You know why? It's because it's our protection from God. You know, we'll, we'll give God, you know, the, the bad things. You know, yeah, I'll give God my sickness. You know, I'll give God my financial problems. I'll give God my sin. But listen, the good stuff, we kind of hoard and we kind of protect from God, don't we? And we sometimes, like Adam, we put on these fig leaves, you know, but to go see God because we're naked, basically, spiritually, and we're not sure what He might ask, what He might say, you know? I mean, we used to laugh and say, you know what, if I yield to God and I ask God to give me His will and I'm going to follow His will, He's going to make me marry some really homely-looking lady and I'm going to end up as a missionary in Africa. Look, I got a good-looking wife, and I ain't in Africa yet. Hallelujah, amen? The Lord knows us. And you know, it was amazing that when I finally laid it down and said, listen, Lord, I'm willing, I want to, 
to serve you. I want to marry who you want me to marry, not who I think is the best choice. Then guess what? God sent me the very, very best. He sent me that which is perfect. Not an action. <laughs> but perfect for me, amen? It's hard to throw your staff down because you know what? You might need it to fend God off if God gets too close on some stuff that you really like. Throw it down. It's a dangerous thing to fall into the hands of our God. But I'm telling you right now, it's glorious. God said, pick it back up. <laughs> pick it back up. After he turned to a serpent, right? Lord, you really don't know what's going on down here, do you? Pick it up. He picked it up. It became a rod again. Except this time, if you read in Scripture, he says this, that Moses loaded up his family. He loaded up his animals. He loaded up everything. And he went back to Egypt, just like God commanded him. And he took with him the rod of God. Wow. How much more power Powerful was that rod now. Because now it not only represented Moses, now it not only represented Moses' defense, now it not only represented the, the path and where he was going to go, but now it represented the presence of the living God with that man. What is it you're holding back from God? Give it to him. Let him do what he desires to do with it. He may take it away and never give it back. But I'm telling you, when he gives it back, it will belong to him. And when it belongs to him, it will bring glory to Jesus Christ. Let's go back to Romans 12. If I yield to the Lord, if I give myself to the Lord, what does that look like? It looks like this. Paul says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. Listen, you need the mercy of God to help you. You need God to give you the strength. You need God to give you the determination and the desire to lay your life down. He said that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. So first off, he wants you to know that you're going to give yourself up totally. That rod is going to become God's. Your body, your everything that has to do with you becomes God. Now, you may not realize this, but when you accepted salvation from Jesus Christ, He became your Lord and your Savior. And I'm telling you, there's only one Lord in a life. Either Jesus is Lord, either He's at the controls, or you are. There's only one Lord. You know, when you saw a lamb being led up to the Temple Mount, when you saw that sacrifice, you knew some, there were some things that you knew about it. One is, it wasn't coming back. You knew that it was going to be given lock, stock, and barrel to God. And everything about that lamb, everything about that sacrifice was going to be used and used up for God. And it was going to be, if you will, lost When you accepted Jesus Christ into your heart, I want you to know that that decision that you made, it brought you into a position where everything that you are, everything that you hope for, 
Everything you're holding on to, everything about you belongs to God. It now is His possession. And He literally can do whatever He wants to do with it. He owns it. He owns you. The way He doesn't own me, you do not have salvation. If He's not calling the shots in my life, then He's not the Lord of your life. I'm going to do it the way I want to do it, regardless of what God says. I'm telling you that you cannot walk in fellowship and right relationship with God unless He is in absolute control. You know, I've watched many people in even my own life where I decided that I knew better than God. And I'd get in there and I'd fiddle with it and I would make it right and I'd do all what I, what I thought was the, the right decision. And, I, and boy, at the end of it, I was laying on the ground muddy and bloody and messed up. And I don't know that God's really sarcastic, but there are times when I felt like the Lord was saying, how's that working for you? You know? You ready to come home? You ready to yield to me? It's kind of like, you know, you just, you see the, you see the lights coming and it just doesn't register until the bus runs you over. And you're laying there all busted up. And you know what's funny is a lot of times we're all busted up and we're all messed up. We got there all by ourselves. And yet we look up and we go, God, if you really loved me, you would fix this. God, if you really loved me, you wouldn't allow this to happen. And so we, we turn our insolence, we turn our rebellion uh, once again into an assault against the love of God. And God's going, why didn't you listen to me? You would not have had to deal with any of this. He said, listen, present yourself as a living sacrifice. Holy. That means lock, stock, and barrel. That means reserving nothing. Literally, you are all in. You've given him everything. And if there's something in you that you haven't yielded to him, he'll point it out. He'll put his finger on it. He'll judge it because, listen, he will have no other gods before him. He will not. He is a jealous God. If you start loving other things more than Him, He will intervene. He will come in and He will fight for you and your I'll be honest, I don't know why He doesn't. I don't know why He doesn't just turn us loose. I guess because His love is holy. His love is eternal. His love is all powerful. His love is beyond our understanding. Give yourself over to Him as holy. Acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And He said, this is the beginning. This isn't the end. This is the very beginning. This is the most reasonable thing you can do is to give yourself over to the will of God. Whether you receive anything out of it or not, you give because he deserves it. Verse 2. He comes back and says, then do not be conformed to this world. Don't be conformed to this world. You realize that when you, when you decide in your heart that you're going to live for the will of God, you're going you're to sacrifice yourself for God, 
Because there are going to be some naysayers out there. Amen? There are going to be some people who say, listen, it's okay to be a little religious, but you don't want to get too crazy about this. You don't want to be too fanatical about it. You know, I don't think you could ever outgive me. I'm telling you, if you, if you took everything you own, everything, and burned it in the middle of a field as a sacrifice to the Lord, it would just begin, to, that would just be the start of what God deserves and what God deserves because of what he has done for you. Jesus Christ died on a cross, came, left heaven, died on a cross to pay for your sins. You were created by him and then you were born again into his family by his sacrifice. Don't worry about the world. You know, Mary, the sister of Martha and the sister of Lazarus, she had a really expensive vial of perfume. And if you remember, Jesus came over and was eating, they were all eating at this house. And she came over behind him and she she poured this expensive oil out over his, over his head and over his feet, and she wiped his feet, I believe, with, his, with her hair. And the fragrance of that, that expensive perfume filled the whole house. And she was just out of love and out of devotion and out of, out of just care. She was giving back to Jesus because of all the things that he had done for her. She was motivated by love. And what did the disciples do? They go, man, I can't believe she wasted all that. We could have sold that and got all that money. We could have, you know, and they were looking at it through earthly terms. They were looking at it through their greed. They were looking at it through their flesh. They were looking at it based on the standards of this world. Listen, we are not called to live by the standards of the world. If we, if we have been translated into his family, we have been born again into His kingdom. We live by His kingdom rules, not by the rules of this world. And I'm telling you, if you give everything, it's just the beginning. Don't be transformed to this. Don't, don't conform to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Let God change your heart that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. He goes, listen, you need to come back over and over again in spirit and in truth and let God work and minister to your mind so that you will understand what His will is. You know, it's not hard to know His will. In fact, He promises that His sheep hear His voice. You know where the struggle is? is when we try and insert our will into His will. When we try and do what we want to do and do what He wants us to at the same time. And let me just say this, that a fleshly man and a holy God are going in opposite directions. You've got to make up your mind. You know, it used to be probably when we were growing up and, you know, Stan and I came off the ark, you know, that, that literally, you know, it was easy. You could, you know, the general society, you know, they're... The, the, the general mores, the general morals of society itself, you know, would lend itself to be mirrored somewhat after Christian beliefs and Christian standards. As time has gone on, I can tell you that the world standards are not God's standards anymore. 
And it was easy through our teenage years maybe to fake it. You know what I mean? You still couldn't fake the Holy Ghost. I mean, if the Holy Spirit wasn't on you in you, you didn't have it. We knew that. But you could kind of fake it. You know what I mean? You could kind of live a public life and, and everybody would, would kind of give you credit for that and you could kind of fake being a Christian, you know? But I want you to know that in this day and time and as time goes forward, you're going to have to make a choice. You're either going to live by God's standards or you're going to live by the standards of this world. And Paul's saying, listen, the world is falling away. The world is being judged. The world is dying. He goes, get off of the boat. It's sinking. You need to live by God's standards. You need to allow Him to transform your heart, your mind. You need to be living His will and not the will of this world. Listen, why would we have a relationship with those whose whole motivation is to kill, steal, and destroy us when we have a loving God who said, this is the way you ought to be living. There's great protection. There's great security in following the will of God. Turn with me over to Ephesians. Ephesians 8, it says this, For by grace you have been saved. So God gives you grace. He, he goes and finds you in the darkness. He goes and pulls you out and, and, and gives you the grace to understand your need and understand His provision. It's amazing to me how He does that. That even the, the smallest of children and even the oldest of, of folks can can grasp this, this process, can grasp this gift that God has offered to us. For by grace you have been saved, through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. That means you didn't earn it. That means you didn't do anything. God said, you know what, I'm going to pick him for my team because he throws a great piece of baseball. You know what I mean? God didn't do that. Hallelujah. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad it ain't based on looks? Hallelujah. Glory to God. You know? Because who's to say what's pretty? Amen? Who's to say what's good looking? I guarantee you I'd be in the back of the room. You know what I'm saying? Aren't you glad that we don't all have to look like a certain way for God to pick us out? Listen, God has chosen us by His love, by His own. Listen, we are fearfully wonderful men. Amen? It's a gift from God. You have to receive it. And I need to interject this. The will of God is a gift from you. You realize that God did not have to reveal Himself. He could have set everything in motion, and then when it got to the end, He could have held court and judged us based on holy and heavenly standards that we have no concept of. But He didn't do that. He sent Jesus as a gift, and He revealed His will as a gift. It's not of works lest anyone should boast. For we are His workmanship. We are crafted by Him. We are created by Him. In the beginning and then when we're born again, we are created into new creations. Amen? He, he transforms us into His image. We're His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good 
works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So you say, what am I about? What am I for? What is, what is the blessing? Of, you know, why am I here? It is to serve Him. To do His will. So you have been created. You have been born again so that now you can work in His kingdom. I end with one story. You all know the story. But you know, you remember Abraham and Isaac? And you know, Abraham didn't have a, a, any children, any heirs, and God came to his wife, who was almost 100 years old, and said, hey, you're going to have a baby? <laughs> well, that's messed up, isn't it? I mean, that, now that's a challenge, whether you're going to accept the will of God or not, amen? God gives him Isaac. What an incredible gift. I mean, it was a miracle. He was a miracle baby. And then God says this, I want you to take him, I want you to sacrifice him. I want you to take him up on the mountain and I want you to lay the knife to him and I want you to give him back to me. What an incredible thing. Wait a minute, God, you gave me, this was the answer to my promise, God. This was the greatest blessing you've ever given me. God, this was a, the, the, the greatest sign that I have your favor and that you love me, and that I care for you, and that I'm blessed, God. This is the sign. And God says, I want you, by my will, to go, and I want you to sacrifice me. But God, he's my future. He said, I want you to be obedient to me. So he went up on the mountain. He began to strike the child, and all of a sudden, the angels of the Lord stopped him. They gave him another lamb to sacrifice. And when they walked off of that mountain, Isaac belonged to God. Do you understand that? That, that literally, Moses, um, excuse me, Moses, Abraham literally laid down the most precious thing that he had in his home. He said, listen, not my will, but your will. Not my life, but your life. Not my future, but your future. The rest of the story is that through Isaac, by the will of God, God raised up more descendants than all. Sam is going to be stars in the sky. He made Abraham. The will is there for you. I promise you, it is the best path for you. It is my hope, it is our prayer, that you will receive the will of the Lord and you will lay yourself aside because you were created, you were saved, you were prepared to do the work, the will of